so Lord, we take a moment in silence. If there's anything that you feel would separate you from our God, just confess it now in silence. Thank you, Lord God, that you know and that you have forgiven from the foundation of the world and Jesus Christ our Lord. And now, Lord, we pray that prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's stop right there, just stop right there. Because you know, actually that last line isn't in the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We added it later. I mean, it's like Jesus ends the prayer with forgiveness, as if forgiveness is the good and unforgiveness is the evil, the temptation of the evil one. That, that last word can be translated the, the evil one. So let's pray that last line again. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Well, yesterday was uh, the anniversary of my father's death. And so I've been thinking about my dad a lot. That's a picture of him from 1962. But that's really not how I remember him. I remember him more like this, uh, laughing in a boat. That's him over there. I don't know if you can see it. He's just laughing. Laughing in a boat with a bunch of strange people. This is along about 1995 when dad was 75. And by then, he had uh, developed quite a capacity for joy. And he had spent a great deal of his life suffering. It was almost 30 years ago that my father was assaulted here in downtown Denver. He had come downtown to take care of some business and something went terribly wrong. It was then that a group of men assaulted him with knives. They stabbed him in the chest, broke his sternum, several ribs, knocked him unconscious, and they took a tremendous sum of money. I was in California at the time as my dad lay uh, unconscious at Swedish Medical Center, my sister Lydia and I hopped on a plane and flew back to Denver. When I first saw dad, he literally looked dead, pale and lifeless. Tubes and machines were literally keeping him alive, technically alive. Dad had lost an immense amount of blood. And like scripture says, the life is in the blood. They had taken his life and Here's the question for the day. How do we forgive? How can we forgive? If you were here last week, you were probably asking yourself that question. How do we forgive? Last week I told you the story of Becca and Kavitha and Kavitha's mother. Becca 
was a young woman from our church who went to India to work with uh, Dalit, or as they're more commonly known, the untouchables. Kavitha was a four-year-old girl that was severely abused by her mother who would burn her and cut her and tie her for hours on end to a ceiling fan. Becca found Kavitha near dead, found her, rescued her, and then was forced to take Kavitha back to her mother. That morning she had prayed to be emptied and filled, but now she cried out to the Lord, why? And she heard him say, say this, I am here, I am in you, I am filling you. I am feeling the same anger and sadness you are feeling. As your fingers reach for her, they become my fingers. And, and I am in Kavitha, and I am her. I have been with her every day, tied to the ceiling fan. Even now I feel pain in my hands, on my face, on my back. It is my eyes that you are looking into. And even more, I am with her mother. For I have come to love the sinner, the prostitute, tax collector, and child abuser. What, I cry, writes Becca, you're here in the horror, you feel Kavitha's pain and my pain, how can you possibly? Yes, my love reaches that far. And just as I fill you, I dream of filling her, for I feel her pain too. But I can't, I can't, I can't go to her, I hate her. In other words, I can't bleed for her. I can't bleed for Kavitha's mother. I can't go to her, I can't give for her, forgive her, I can't forgive her. And yet even as these words pour from my mouth, writes Becca, I know the truth. And he says, then let me. And he fills me, and he fills you, and he longs to fill. I imagine that last week many of you struggled with that because you struggled with forgiving Kavitha's mother. But if you're like me, perhaps even more, you uh, struggled with something else. So you're scared to admit it. You don't know quite how to say it. You struggled with forgiving the Lord. I mean, he longs to fill, and yet wasn't it he that allowed her to be empty in in the first place? Jesus said, let me, allow me, Release me. The word ephiomi in Greek is translated let or, or forgive. Let me. Well, how do we forgive? How do we forgive? Just a few years before my dad was assaulted downtown with strangers with knives, he was assaulted downtown by friends with slander. In a room downtown, my dad was tried and removed from his church by friends in his own denomination. Some said it was theology, but I saw it from inside, and I believe it was psychology. It was individuals wanting power, wanting control. They took his life. I mean, what he had worked for, what he had built for 15 years, they took it. They drew blood. Years later, in a very miraculous way, the Lord showed me that on that day, my heart had made a decision, because I was in that room and my heart had made this decision, that will never happen to me. And so it was then that I hardened my heart and entered the ministry. 
Now, I know that's not very logical. It's actually psychological. It's nuts. Last week, we talked about insanity. We talked about nuts, pointing out that there is a psychologic, there is a soul logic, a self logic that governs individuals. And there is a theologic, a God logic that governs a body. Ephesians 4, uh, verses 17 through, through 25. Um, I wasn't going to mention this, but you're, you're probably wondering, um, what happened to, you, to, your, to your finger? Well, I'll just tell you. I was uh, picking my nose with my left <laughs> index finger while I was driving down 6th Avenue and somewhere near Sheridan, I, I hit a bump. And when I hit the bump, it jammed my left index finger up into my nostril, cutting the tender flesh in my nostril and I began to, to bleed. It hurt. And it really angered my nose. My nose got angry. I told my finger not to pick my nose, but, but my nose got angry. My nose whispered to my mouth. My, my nose said, hey, mouth, that's my precious life that's draining on your, that's my life. Don't tell that damn finger, but, but that's my life on, on your, your lip. Don't tell that finger. I hate that finger. I hate that damn finger. That finger is arrogant and rude and, and selfish. Well, my left arm was listening in on the conversation. And my left arm said, I'm tired of sending blood to that finger. I send warm, oxygenated blood uh, to that finger, and it always comes back cold and, and lifeless, lifeless. I'm tired of sending blood to, to that finger. And then my eyes said, hey, you know, I've been watching. Peter usually uses his right hand, not, not his left hand. And my right hand said, yeah, I'm better than the left hand. And so my right hand, my left arm, my mouth and my nose and my eyes, they slandered my left finger. They slandered my left finger and they came up with a plan. And my mouth said, hey, left finger, come to my garden for I love you and I will give you a kiss. And so my left arm lifted my left finger up to my mouth, and when it got close to my mouth, my mouth just like bit down on my finger really hard, nearly bit the thing clean off, which really infuriated my left hand because my left hand is very close to my left finger. And so I'm driving down 6th Avenue, and I just start beating the crap out of myself. I mean, I, 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 gave my, I gave my left eye a black eye. My left hand gave my left eye a black eye. And my whole time I scream, my, my finger, my left finger is screaming, bite me. Well, just bite me because I'm sick of this body. I'm sick of this body. I don't even want to be a part of this body anymore. And so my mouth just like started gnawing on my finger, chewed down, I bit it clean off, spit it out the window as I'm driving down the freeway. By now, my car is like swerving all over the place. Well, fortunately, a cop pulled me over. And he said to my body, he said, you cut it out. You're breaking the law. You don't cut it out. I'm going to arrest all of you, throw you all in jail. All in jail. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, that's psycho. <laughs> yeah, that's psycho logos. And, and some of you are thinking, hey, you know, well, individual body parts don't have their own will. They don't make their own judgments about what's good and evil. 
Uh, individual body parts don't do that. Uh, they, they, they don't have individual psychologies. Uh, in psychologos, there's one body logos for the whole body. And some of you, some of you that are really smart, you're saying, hey, Peter, come on. That didn't really happen to your body. And, and you're right. It didn't happen to my body, but it did happen to Christ's body. Actually, it happened, it started to happen at a tree in a garden long ago. Tempted by the devil, Eve and the old Adam took fruit from the tree of law, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in order to create themselves, and what they created was psychologos, sin. They took fruit. But did you know that fruit is also seed? And when it dies, it gives birth to life. Well, anyway, there is an old Adam, mankind. Adam means mankind. There's an old Adam, and there is a new Adam. The new Adam died on a tree in a, in a garden and gave up his spirit and he was planted in the seed in that garden. He, 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 was, he, he was planted in the ground like a seed and he rose from the dead and he is the life. God is uniting all things in him. And God is uh, uniting us in, in him. We are his body. He is the judgment of God, the decision of God, the word of God, the logos of theos, the theologic. When my will surrenders to his will, I put him on. E Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, writes Paul, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, the unbelievers do, in the futility of their minds. It's psychologic. They have, they're darkened in, in their understanding, alienated, cut off from the life of God, separated from the life. They're dead because of the ignorance that is in them due to their porosis, their hardness of heart. Due to their stone hearts, or hardened hearts, they're insane <laughs> and dead. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, literally your old man, in Hebrew, your old Adam, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts or deceitful desires. Now, there, there are also good desires, good lusts. In fact, Jesus at the Last Supper said, in lust I have lusted to eat this meal with you. Isn't that amazing? To eat communion with you. But, but, but they're corrupted through deceitful desires. Uh, or, they are. And, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds uh, to put on the new self, literally new man, in Hebrew, new Adam, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so you see, we talked about this last time, the cause of insanity is a hard heart and the cause and the cure for insanity is a broken heart, a heart that's broken for love, a heart that's tender. Psychologos, my old self-centered self, only feels its own feelings, only thinks its own thoughts. But theologos, my new self, Jesus himself, feels what others feel. 
and thinks uh, for all, the body. Psychologos is my sanity, which is insanity, and theologos is God's sanity, which is love and life. Theologos is Jesus, and we are to put him on. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, or literally the false, the false self, the false man, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Speak the truth. It's only theological. If a body doesn't speak the truth, one member to the next, what happens? It's uncoordinated, it's epileptic, it's numb, it's dead and, and dying. Not just one member suffers, but all suffer. Some people think forgiveness is ignoring the truth, covering up the truth, hiding the truth, but forgiveness exposes the truth. Forgiveness exposes the whole truth the truth about our sin and the truth about the righteousness of God. Forgiveness sees good and evil and then fills the evil with good. Since we're members of one another, speak the truth. Say, finger, you're hurting me, but I forgive you. Since we're members, one of another, speak the truth. It's only, it's only logical, you see, it's only theological. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Later, he's even gonna say, put the anger away. You know, Jesus, I don't think, really gets angry on his own behalf. You notice that in scripture? He gets angry on his, on his father's behalf, and I don't think he was angry at his own body, but the things that divided his body, like slander and, and lies, unforgiveness, the work of the accuser, the diabolos, the, the devil, devil means accuser or slanderer, See, my nose doesn't get mad at my finger, but my whole body gets mad at the bump in the road. My nose forgives my finger and hates the bump. It's only theological, verse 27, and give no opportunity to the slanderer, the, the devil. Give no opportunity to gossip. And Do you enjoy gossip and slander? Do you know you're enjoying the work of the devil? Give no opportunity to the devil. It's only theological. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. If a part of my body just takes and never gives, that part is a tumor, a cancer, maybe a blood clot. Every part of my body must give blood in order to, to, to receive blood. The life is in the blood. If a body part keeps its life, it loses its life. It's only theological. Uh, verse 29, let no corrupting talk, sapros talk, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Literally, let no sapros logos, dead logos, no psychologos come out of your mouth, only theologos, that's grace. To talk garbage about another is to talk garbage about yourself, because we're a body. <laughs> it's only theological. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, you know, is holy wind, holy breath. When God breathed into the clay, Adam became a living soul. In a body, the, the blood 
carries the spirit to every cell. And there in the cell, uh, the oxygen is burned and turns into energy or, or, or fire, and biologists call that life. The oxygen is delivered up. And the toxins, the carbon dioxide, are carried away by the blood. Uh, The cell is cleansed by the blood. It's literally washed with the blood. Every cell must lose that old life, that old blood, to be filled with new life, new blood, which is mercy, which is life. So to grieve the Holy Spirit is to hate the flow of mercy, which marks you, seals you for the day of redemption. You know, the mark of the beast is 666. From the sixth day, sixth day of creation. The mark of the spirit is grace, eternal life from the seventh day, seventh day of creation. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's only theological. Verse 32, be kind to one another. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You realize kindness is your weapon against the work of the evil one? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So, how did God in Christ forgive me? Well, number one, He forgave me before I even ever sinned. I think I committed my first sin sometime along about 1962. In fact, I kind of remember it. I was peeling the wallpaper off. My first memory is guilt, peeling the wallpaper off the wall above my, my bed. First sin, 1962. Do you know when he bore that sin? 33 A.D., if, if the scholars are right, or 30 A.D., if, as some say, 33 A.D., on a tree in a garden, he, he bore that sin. He forgave me before I sinned, knowing that I would sin, almost as if he knew, or almost as if he planned that my sin would be part of his plan, this bigger plan. He forgave me before I sinned, before I was even made. Actually, it's how I was made, or even better, it's how I'm being made. The word, uh, translated as forgiveness here, is the word charizomai, from charizomai which means grace. I was created by the word of grace, who is Christ Jesus. I was created by the theologos, and I'm still being created by the theologos as I confess my sins and receive God's grace. I'm watching myself. That's what's happening in this world of space and time. I'm watching myself being created by grace. Salvation, you see, is agreeing to your own creation. Salvation is faith in grace, by grace. Salvation is dying to the lie that I am salvation and living to the truth that God is salvation. In a word, Yeshua, that's Jesus, the Theologos, the word of God, by whom and in whom all things are created. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the cosmos. Charizomai is how I'm created, how I'm saved, how I'm redeemed. Number two, he forgave me before I could even ask to be forgiven. It wasn't my will, it was his will. Before I could even ask. You know, I hear people say stuff like this all the time. I can't forgive that person. 
At least not until they ask. You know, you couldn't even ask for grace if you hadn't already been given grace. Forgive as God and Christ forgave you. He forgave me before I asked. And number three, he forgave me completely. Scripture says um, the sins of the world. He bore the sins of the world. On him the Lord had laid the iniquity of us all. He paid for all. He disposed of it all. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He forgives completely. And yet Jesus said there is one thing that is not and will not be forgiven. But in that place, he doesn't use the word charizomai. And so it's important to understand there is no lack of grace. He uses the word aphiomi, which means release or to let, which we also translate as forgive. And so Jesus says, if you don't release people from their sins, neither will the Father release you from your sins. Even though I guess Christ has already paid for your sins. Charizomai. You know, maybe it's grace that we're not released from our own sins until we release others from their sins. I preached on that topic last October the 14th, and so you can watch it online if you want to. But Jesus said all sins will be forgiven, afiyami, forgiven men, released, except speaking against the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit testifies to the grace of God in Christ Jesus, charizomai. You know, if you take credit for grace, it's no longer grace. You must return the credit. It's not forgiven you. Credit for for grace. You are not salvation. You must confess God is salvation, Jesus. You can't buy grace, in other words. You can't own grace. It's uh, not your possession or it's not grace. The spirit is breath, right? And the spirit is fire. God speaks fire. And the spirit is life and the life is in the blood. The old man inhales the breath of God and refuses to exhale. He breathes in but he doesn't breathe out. The old Adam refuses to breathe the breath of God. He takes life, but won't surrender life. The old Adam refuses to bleed, and that can't be forgiven. Because forgiveness is bleeding. And bleeding is life. One member of my body bleeding into the another member, and that member bleeding into that member, and it's the dance of, it's the dance of life. I, I'm saying I think the unforgivable sin is unforgiveness, and check this out, we've all committed it, but we must surrender it. It's the hatred of forgiveness, the hatred of grace. Everything is grace, everything. And until you surrender to grace, You're trapped in outer darkness, lies, illusions, the dominion of the devil. And yet even that is grace, that we would learn to hate ungrace, that the old man, the flesh might be destroyed and the spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord, as Paul puts it, that we might forgive as we've been forgiven, that we might live. Life is forgiveness. Charizomai. Life is the dance of grace, the 
movement of the Spirit. Life is a river that flows from a throne that is also a tree. A river, life is a river. How did God and Christ forgive us? He died. Think about that. The life died. That's a mystery that's really incredible to think about. I mean, I don't think I can fully understand, but the life cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Delivered up his spirit and died. I've thought a lot about this, and I think death must be separation. So Jesus, the life, was separated from the source of life, his father. As he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As his body was broken and his blood spilled out, he he bled for us, he gave his life for us, he died for us, died. And we were already dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins, writes Paul. Jesus said, unless you drink my blood, you have no life in you. We're dead, dead, and, and yet terrified to die. That's what scripture says, that the devil keeps us in lifelong bondage through fear of death, and yet we're dead. Do you remember what the snake said to Eve in the garden? Literally, he said this. It usually gets translated like certainly he didn't say that you will die, but literally he said this. He said, dying, you will not die. Because you see, God had told Adam, the day you eat of it, you will die, and the snake said, dying, you will not die. Well, we eat of it on the sixth day of creation. That's the day that we are made, and this is that day. Why? Because we're still being made. On the seventh day, we have been made, finished, to telestai, it is finished, and we've entered God's rest, and that's the new creation. So the day you eat of it, you will die, well, that means if you eat of it on the sixth day, you must be dead by the seventh day, the Sabbath day. Dying, but not dead. That would be to be stuck in the sixth day, the sixth-sixth-sixth day. Dying, you will not die. That sounds like heaven, but it's the very definition of hell. Death is separation. At the tree in the garden, old Adam chose psychologos and rejected theologos. We chose man is salvation and crucified God is salvation. We took the life and cut ourselves off from the source of life. This is what happened. That's the first death. That's what the Bible calls the first death. You know, all of our monster movies are about us. (laughs) We're the walking dead. That lust for the flesh of the living, the blood of the living. We're like an appendage that has been 
cut off. It may contain nerves, but nerves cut off, that's psychologos. It may contain some life, but life cut off, that's, uh, that's sapros logos, that's dead, dead life, uh, life cut off. We're like a, a part cut off or a vessel, a vessel that's clogged, like a heart suffering from porosis, hardening of the arteries. In, in the Old Testament, God says to Israel, you have a heart of stone, but I will give you a heart of flesh a tender heart. You know, if you have a heart of stone, you're dead if you got a heart of stone. That's the first death. That's the first death, and check this out, we think it's life. In fact, you call it my life. And just by calling it my life, you testify that you stole life, for Jesus is the life, and the life doesn't belong to you. You belong to the life. So this is the first death, an individual vessel, or perhaps a a clogged vessel, a vessel full of itself, separated uh, from, from life. So what's the second death? That's the first death. What's the second death? In the Revelation, it's described as a lake of fire, and God is eternal fire. It's the lake of fire and theon, or fire and divinity. God is fire, and his breath is fire. That's what scripture says. Gehenna is lit on fire by his breath, his spirit. His breath is fire and life, eternal life. And Revelation describes the second death this way, that the second death is the death of death. Death is destroyed by that lake of fire. The death of death is the death of what you think is life, the death of that arrogant, self-centered, independent, cut-off old you. Jesus said, believe in me and you'll never die. Maybe that's because if we believe in him, we're already dead. Belief in him is dying to yourself. John 5, Revelation 2, if we have faith, we won't be hurt by the second death because maybe we've already died the, uh, the, the second death. Revelation 14, 13, blessed, happy, happy are the dead who die in the Lord. Paul wrote, it's no longer I who live. Maybe he really meant this. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, eternal life in me, spirit in me, fire in me, like flowing through my veins. So so this is the first death, and this is the second death. Communion. The death of death, which is life. The first death is separation. The second death is separation from separation, which is communion, which is life. So anyway, how did God in Christ forgive me? He died for me. And he helps me bleed. He bled for me. And he helps me live. He bled for me and he helps me bleed. He died for me and he helps me die. At the tree in the garden, which we call the the cross, we took his life and yet he forgives his life and there he helps us to forgive. He delivered up the spirit 
and bears our toxic old man to destruction. He descends into the lower parts of the earth. He descends into the dark, dead tombs that are our hearts, and there God raises him from the dead. If we're joined with him in a death like his, writes Paul, we will surely be joined with him in a resurrection like his. Forgiveness is the death of death. Forgiveness is, is life. Forgiveness is the dance of grace. Forgiveness is losing your life and finding it. In heaven, it's constant joy. In fact, the word charisma, I bought the word charis, which means grace, is also really means delight or, or joy. Uh, Cairo means to rejoice. Uh, in heaven, it's constant joy, and here on earth, it often feels like death. On a tree, call the cross. And Paul writes, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you've ever truly forgiven, you know. At first, at least, at first, it feels like death. Why? Because you are actually giving your life. But if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. You are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You're one of the dead that does not die, and your soul is trapped in hell, even if your body has turned to dust. You know, the people that Jesus warned about hell, you research this in Scripture, it's fascinating. The people that Jesus warned about hell were people who knew about forgiveness and hated to forgive. So how are we gonna find the strength to forgive? How can we forgive? How can I find the strength to forgive? How can I? Well, maybe I can't. But Jesus can. The old man can't, but the, but the new man can. It's like Becca said to Jesus, I can't go to her. I can't forgive her. And Jesus said, let me. Release me. How on earth can I forgive? Maybe I, maybe I actually cannot forgive, but Jesus can forgive in me. Just think about it. If someone takes your life, they're not taking your life, right? They're taking Christ's life because he is the life. If someone sins against you, they're not actually sinning against you. I mean, David even said it, against you and you only have I sinned, he said to the Lord. They're sinning against Jesus. And if you forgive, it's not you that's actually doing the forgiving. It's Jesus doing the forgiving as you let him in you. If you give your life, it's not your life that you're giving. It's Christ's life because he is the life. So to forgive is to be joined with him in a death like his and to be joined with him in a resurrection like his. To forgive is to die with Christ and rise with Christ. Forgiveness is bleeding. Forgiveness is bleeding, but you're not bleeding your blood. It's his blood. You see, you don't control the river. The river controls you. So how do I forgive those men that assaulted my dad with knives? How do I forgive those men that assaulted him with slander and took his life and 
took my life. How do I uh, forgive? How do I forgive God for letting it happen? Well, I neglected to tell you this at the start of the sermon. But the men with the knives are called surgeons. My dad had gone downtown to see the doctor. I wasn't lying. Something did go wrong. He had a heart attack in the doctor's office. They did knock him unconscious. They did break his sternum and several ribs. And they did cut him. And they did take a huge sum of money. They performed on my father emergency open heart surgery, removing four clogged vessels and replacing them with clean vessels. They, they removed a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, a tender heart. His heart had grown hard and stopped bleeding and they helped him bleed. It was the death of death, which is life. God's a surgeon and he gives you his blood. He even gives you his heart from the bosom of, of the father. The men who assaulted my dad with slander, though, they, they weren't surgeons, and that was not God. They weren't God, and yet what they intended for evil, God intended for good. He works everything for good. And grace is good. God was teaching my father to forgive, making him in his image with a tremendous capacity for joy. And you know, God's church really is a boat full of strange people where everyone forgives and they rejoice in forgiving. God was teaching my father to forgive. And God was teaching me to forgive. And forgiveness is life. And life is love. And love is happy. I hardened my heart down at Central Presbyterian, where the sanctuary was born. I hardened my heart that day, deciding that I would never bleed. I hardened my heart, and God broke my heart so my heart would bleed and I would live. As many of you know, everything that happened to my father happened to me. And it happened in such a way that he could not be mistaken. It was God. It was God that was in charge of the whole thing. I felt like I was dying, and sometimes I still do. I lost 15 years of my life, my work, what I had built. But you know, everything I build is temporal. And everything God builds is eternal. So I felt like I was dying, and sometimes still do. But you see, it's the death of death, and that's life. It's God my Father teaching me to forgive. You know, there's an immense amount of sin in this world. I hope you're aware of that, an immense amount of sin, and, and, and it's either outside of God's plan and outside of his control, or it's under his control, and it's part of his plan. Sin is sin, it's sin, but I don't think it's an accident. It was sin to take the fruit from the tree. But I don't think it was an accident. It was sin to take Christ's life upon the cross. But I'm sure that was no accident. And people will sin against you then. And this is what I'm saying. I don't think it's an accident. 
They may intend it for evil, but the surgeon intends it for good. He's teaching you to forgive. It feels like death, but it's the death of death. It's life. God is making you in his image. And God is grace, burning hot grace. And now if you're wondering to yourself, gosh, but it hurts. God, why did you have to do it that way? Why do you have to do it this way? I don't know. I mean, maybe if we had never known sin, we could never know grace, really know grace. And God is grace, but I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. One of the greatest experiences of my life was standing by my father's bed as his heart began to bleed. And that deathly pale color on his skin faded away and turned into beautiful pink. And then the greatest moment was the moment that his eyes opened and he looked at me and I looked at him and we knew each other. God creates us with forgiveness. And he uses us to create each other with forgiveness. And perhaps there's no greater joy than this, that one day you will say to your greatest enemy, in Jesus' name, I forgive you. And he will open his eyes and look at you and see you. And you will look at him and see him. And you will know each other. And that's life. The logic of God. Theologic. And so when we were dead and blind and had made ourselves the very enemies of God, the Theologos took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. This is the death of death. This is life. And may you open your eyes and know. In Jesus' name, amen. And so he calls you to come to his table, the communion table. Tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. The light cups are juice, the dark cups are wine. And be filled with Theologos, the reason of God, the word of God, the life of God, in his name, amen. Therefore, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I told you I have a list. 
But number one at the top of the list is someone we probably really didn't talk about today, but we'll talk about next week, and that's the person that I see in the mirror. <laughs> Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. You are forgiven. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.